Our most gracious Heavenly Father, this is your word. It comes to us without error that it is perfect in all its parts and it is more than sufficient for all we need to know for a life pleasing to you and for salvation. We believe that for all the things that are necessary for salvation, the scriptures abundantly clear. So we thank you. We pray now that you would illumine our hearts and our minds to be able to to not just understand the words on the page, but that, that you would indeed speak to our souls, that we would be revived and made more like you. And if any here who do not know you, we do pray um, that even this time of hearing your word will be a time of, of salvation, for faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. So we pray these things, this blessing upon the preaching and the hearing of your word, we pray in Christ's holy name, amen. So I'm going to read, it. we're looking at verses 13 through 18, but to keep our context, I'm going to read beginning in verse 1 of chapter 9 down through verse 18. So the word of the Lord. <clears throat> I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the Spirit, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our father Isaac, though they were not yet born and had not done neither done and, and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. The word of the Lord. So again, some difficult passages to sort of look at sometimes seems to go against what we would believe to be the, the character of God. But we continue to look at this doctrine of election, the sovereignty of God, and the salvation of sinners, um, all of whom deserve only God's wrath. And that's a, a key point that we, we have to keep in mind as we go through this, because instead we see some receive his mercy and compassion, but not all. And we see with the example of Jacob and Esau that it had nothing to do with them. It was before they were born, before they had done either good or evil, but it had everything to do with God's sovereign decision, his purpose, his design 
um, for the world. And so Paul anticipates this objection. He does this a lot in his writings. He'll make a statement and say, ah, but you'll say this. Ah, I bet you're thinking this. I know what you're going to say. And he does this. So if the question that Paul brings up is the question that would pop up in our mind naturally from what we read, then we're on the right track. And so what you should be thinking, according to what Paul is saying, if God does this with Jacob and Esau before they're even born, we should start thinking, wait a second, that's not right. That sounds like injustice. And the word in Greek is adikia. It's like it's not righteous. Is God unrighteous? And he's like, um, may it never be. Or some translations, God forbid. It's one of these old Greek phrases they'll tell you if you're, you're taking Greek. May gen, oh, I had to write it down. <laughs> may genoita. May genoita. It means absolutely not. However you say it without cussing. However you say it, no way. I guess you can still say no way, Jose. But whatever you say, it's like no. Absolutely never, not ever. And in Greek, they do very good. They can, you, can, you can double and triple up your negatives, and it just makes it more negative. So, you know, we, have, we don't do that in English. But meganoita, absolutely not. It is unthinkable, unfathomable that there could be unrighteousness with God. So get that out of your head right away. Because that's where your brain's going to go. If this was human, not right. But for God, it's different. God is holy. But that very holiness is the issue. That he is righteous. That he is just. And um, Jeffrey Wilson in his commentary writes this. He says, God is bound to punish sin. But he is under no obligation to exercise mercy. Mercy is not a debt owed to man. So and this is sort of the theme of what Paul is, is getting at here. Is like, God is holy. He says, I will by no means clear the guilty. I will punish sin. That is the problem in the garden. So that is the problem is how do you have a holy God and how is he going to save sinners when he's bound to punish sin? And this is what we find in the cross. The wages of sin is death. And in Adam, all who are under the, all are under the curse of God and have inherited his sin nature and are guilty because of Adam's sin passed down, as the Shorter Catechism says, to all those who descended from him by ordinary generation. They're excluding Christ because he was born of a virgin, and he becomes the second Adam. But all other men descending directly from Adam have inherited the curse from him. And as Romans, as Paul has said earlier in Romans, Romans 3.10, he says, No one is righteous, no, not one. Verse 11, no one understands, no one seeks for God. And verse 12, no one does good, not even one. Verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So he makes it clear that Paul is saying all are under the fair and right and just condemnation of God. It's not just that God's hard to get along with, it's he is holy and he's right and that is the way we should be. It is the way Adam was created. Adam was good. Adam was right. Adam was holy. Adam was the best of the best that mankind could have. That's why we had to have Christ, who would be fully man and fully God, so that Adam even fell, and we in him. And therefore, since we also have borne inheriting this sin, we all deserve the wrath and curse of God. But God did something to save some. And so the question might be, well, why didn't he do something to save everybody? Because he could have, 
And so everybody has to deal with this, whatever you believe about the sovereignty of God and salvation. Do you believe God could save everybody? And then the answer will be, well, God loves free will more than he loves, you know, the, like he didn't want to save everybody and destroy free will. And it's like, well, I wish, you know, if that's the case, I would say, well, I wish God loved saving people more than he loved giving us free will. Because it's not the case. We have free will. The problem with man's free will is it always inclines away from God. It will always move away from the true light. And so God has to do something to, to cause men and women, boys and girls, by their free will to choose him. And so he changes our wills. He changes our hearts. He enters in by the Holy Spirit. But it's only, again, because of the person and work of Jesus Christ so that we do all deserve the wrath and curse of God. But why did God not save everyone? And his answer to this is, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And, he says, he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomsoever he wills. And it's similar to a response given to Job, you know, where were you, O oh man? And Paul gets into this later in these chapters. You know, where were you, O oh man, when I, I hung the stars? Where were you when I did all these great works? Because Job is like, give me an audience with him and I'll show you. Because his friends are saying, hey, you're suffering because of sin. But Job wasn't suffering because of sin. Job wasn't a perfect man, but he certainly was not suffering because of sin. We're told that. So as they continue to, his friends continue to accuse him of sin, he continues to believe also, God must think I'm a sinner or these bad things weren't, wouldn't happen to me because he un misunderstands something about God's mercy and, and grace. And he says, give me an audience with God. And God just tells him, hey, who are you, O man? And Job says, I repent. I spoke of things I did not know. And he got it. He just had to understand God is God. God is good. God is holy. I'm uttering things I did not know. I got carried away. And that's what happens when God reveals himself to us in these various ways. We're told in verse 11 in chapter 9 of Romans that it is God's purpose in election that it might stand, which is why he does these things. He has a purpose. He has a reason. And he has not told us what these reasons are all the time. And he shows this point again um, not this time with Jacob and Esau, but this time with Moses and Pharaoh. And you can miss that they're putting these two together if you just sort of read through it quickly because he doesn't put them in the same sentence. But, you know, Moses and Pharaoh, they had dealings with each other. So he's like, I had this one dealing I'm doing with Moses, and I got another dealing I'm, I'm having here with, with Pharaoh. And so in um, 15 through 16, what we're reading, and this is after the, for Moses, is after the golden calf. Incident. So let's look at that again for in 9.15. For he, God, says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And this is a, a quote from the Exodus. And it's after the golden calf incident. God is angry with the people and Moses is very concerned that, that God would forgive them and that he indeed would go into the promised land with them. God has said, you know, I, you can go, but I'm not going to go with you. And he's like, oh, Lord, please. You know, the, then the nations will say their God couldn't save them. That we're not your people. Please forgive. Please help. And so what he, God says to, and this is also the time where um, Moses says to God, uh, show me your glory. 
And when and God responds by you know, place, placing Moses in the cleft of the rock, he somehow he you know, places his hand over Moses and he says, you can see my goodness, he says. But, and then he pronounces his name Yahweh as he goes past. But he also makes this statement in that time, I have mercy on whom I have mercy and have compassion on whom I have compassion. And so this is a part of Yahweh, God, revealing his glory to Moses. And a part of what God is communicating to Moses and to us through this is that part of my glory, part of the glory of God is that he is full of compassion. He is full of mercy and grace. But he does not extend it to everyone because he's also just. So we always have to remind, remind ourselves that mercy is a reaction to justice. You don't have to give mercy to somebody that doesn't need mercy. So, you know, you put, you all know the mercy game, I guess. We don't tell the children about it. You, get this, you keep doing this till somebody says mercy. And then when it says mercy, they, they lose. Because what you're acknowledging is you are stronger than me. And unless you stop, there's nothing I can do to make you stop. And this is God giving his mercy to us. And compassion, meaning to, to have sympathy with, to, to feel the pain of another, to, to, to enter into another's suffering with them in such a way that there's this great understanding and love for them. And this is what happens in Jesus Christ. And so when God reveals himself in the person of Christ, we see these things more fully. But as his glory is being revealed to Moses, we see him expressing these things. So that what he's, he's not revealing himself to Moses in this, in this way by saying, I am an angry God, I am a holy God, stay away from me. But I am merciful and I am, I am compassionate. Because he's been communicating to Moses and the people of Israel the holiness of God pretty well. That only the holy can come into the presence of the holy. Only the clean can come into the presence of the clean. And so when God says, Moses, again, show me your glory. This is, is what he's, he's saying to them. And so then as we go to verse 16, Paul throws in an explanatory passage. And he says, so then it depends not on human will or exertion. I have no idea why the ESV decides to to do this translation, it literally, and some of the other translations say, it depends not on him who runs or wills. Okay, it depends not on him who runs or one who wills, but it depends on God who has mercy. So just making this point again and again, it depends on God who has mercy. And then he says, for, so we're going to make this point again, verse 17, the scripture says to Moses, I'm sorry, the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up. Now, this is what God told Moses to tell Aaron to tell the word of God to Pharaoh. For this very purpose, I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Now, this is one of those times when we get a glimpse into uh, the hidden mystery of God's purpose. It's like, why is, what's God doing? Why is God doing this? And here he's, we can see it with Pharaoh. So God is using, as Sinclair Ferguson has said, he uses sin sinlessly. He even uses Satan to accomplish his purposes. He can use Pharaoh to accomplish his purposes. And Pharaoh, who we see um, the scriptures say, he hardened his heart against the commandments of God. And it also says, even more often, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so you might think to yourself, well, my goodness, poor, poor Pharaoh. That just doesn't seem quite right. That, 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 and you might find yourself thinking, you know, here's Pharaoh. 
trying to be a good guy, and God comes along and just hardens his heart. God's fault. And it's like, no, Pharaoh has hardened hearts. Moses has a hardened heart. These guys are sinful. They're born in sin. Um, we're all born in sin. The question is, or the, the, the point is, though, Moses received mercy and compassion. Pharaoh did not. Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And how does God harden Pharaoh's heart? And we don't know all there is about it. It's a mystery as well. But a part of it is by commanding Pharaoh to let my people go. So, and, and I think it's, it just makes a lot of sense if you think about it. Um, if you have a, a kid that is rebel, a child who's rebellious to you. Uh, he doesn't like taking out the trash. He doesn't like cleaning his room. He doesn't like having to go to bed at a certain time. He doesn't like having to get in the tub, and then he doesn't like having to get out of the tub. So all you have to do to harden a child like that is say, take out the trash. Get in the tub. Get out of the tub. Clean your room. That's it. And the more you say it, the harder they will get. Unless something happens, and you soften their bottoms or something, and they suddenly change their minds and they start to do these things. But if he's bound and determined in my heart, I will not do this, and you want to make them worse, then just make them do it. Force them into it. And you know how you are yourself. There's something about you that you just don't like doing. The more somebody makes you do it, the more you just don't want to do it. And so as Pharaoh is God in the image of the eyes of the people, in the eyes of himself, and, and Moses, poor, you know, who's Moses to come before him? Aaron's coming before him and says, God says, let my people go, hardens his heart. And then plague after plague after plague after plague, hardening, hardening. And it says God is hardening his heart by continuing, rather than wiping him out immediately and just saying, you know, God could have just changed Pharaoh's mind without changing his heart. God could have manipulated circumstances in such a way that, you know, they just, they ended up just, you know, freak chance. They just walked out. They're gone. We don't want you anymore. We got this other, you know, somebody invented something. We don't need you guys anymore. And so, but he says, this all happened in verse 17, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So is the you know, we still proclaim the Lord's name. The, the parting of the Red Sea happens because of Pharaoh. Pharaoh dies and chasing after Israel, even after he has set them free once again. And so this is the work of God. And so as we, we look at this and we think to ourselves, okay, um, how, do we, how do we pray? And R.C. Sproul reminds us that you never want to ask God for justice. You want and need grace and mercy. You know, don't cry out for God, you know, treat me right, treat me fair, treat me as I deserve. No, grace and mercy. So you're praying for something for yourself or someone else, you plead the mercy of God. I mean, when I'm praying for other people, sometimes I find myself saying, you know, he's such a good guy. He does so much for you. Lord, and I have to go, nope, please, Father, I have your grace and your mercy and your goodness and your kindness that you're pleased to answer the prayers of your people because of Christ or plead the blood of Christ. Please, Father, do this. Rather than pleading somebody's goodness, somebody deserves this, somebody deserves that. But, you know, that's God loves to show mercy and kindness, especially to his children. So now we have to be aware of and remember that God is able to be righteous and still be merciful because of Christ. And the answer to this is found 
in, in Romans 3. So go back and look at how God can do this, how God can be merciful. Romans 3.21, so that we, we remember this. I'm going to read through 28. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, that means declared righteous before him, by his grace, undeserved goodness, as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He's bought us out of sin, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. This is, in a, this is a sacrifice that removes his wrath towards the object of, of his grace. To be received, and this is to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show that his righteousness, it was to show his righteousness at the present time. So that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we hold that one is justified, declared righteous, by faith apart from works of the law. And so this is, it's a gift. This is the grace. This is what happens to us, um, how we are saved, how God can be just, how he can be righteous, and make somebody righteous who's not righteous. Because of Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross for us, he stepped in our place for us. But here's the thing. That you would ask, and this is what comes up. Well, who is elect and who is not? Who receives mercy and who does not? And we might tend to say, well, those who have faith receive his mercy. And it's like, well, yes, but in fact, faith given to a person is the act of mercy toward them. So you have to get that first. It's not that God says, oh, you have faith, you will receive mercy. Because if that's the case, where'd the faith come from? If it comes from you, you conjured it up. There was something good about you, some logical necessity in your mind. And you're like, hey, I, I choose you. You know, it's like God looks at you and says, all right, who wants to be saved? Anybody, 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 Bueller, Bueller, anybody? No, nobody. No, not one. They're not. It's, it's hard to believe because we come from a place of faith. And, but the non-believer, if you ever talk to a non-believer and it's like, you know, I Sure, they don't mind going to heaven. They don't mind being saved. Oh, really? You don't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? No. Why not? Well, I don't believe that. You know, it's like faith is a gift freely given, just like you have if you have a gift of, of works, a gift of administration. It's not that you get that gift if you accept it. It's a gift freely given, lest anyone should boast. So even if it's given to everybody or it was offered to you and you still have to accept it, that means there's 10 people offered faith, five accepted it. That's something to boast in. I accepted it. No, 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 no. Nothing, nothing to boast in. God has had mercy and compassion on whom he would have mercy and compassion on. And so we can look out on the mass of humanity and say, which ones are his? Which ones just haven't been called yet? Which ones haven't heard the gospel yet? And we, and we can't know. 
There's no way to look out and, and tell. Secret thing of God. Or even say, am I elect? Um, are you elect? And again, wrong question. Because this is not something that's revealed by God. God reveals that he chooses. God reveals that he elects. God reveals that it's not up to he, him who runs or him who wills, but unto God who chooses, who God has mercy. I have mercy, I have mercy. Compassion, I have a compassion. And people give themselves quite a hard time about, I believe, but how do I know I'm elect? If I'm not elect, then my faith is not true, and I'm going to fall down. What's going to happen? How do I know if I'm elect? And it's just not the right question. Because Deuteronomy 29, 29 says... The secret things belong to the Lord. The revealed things belong to us that we may do all the works of the law, all the works that we're taught that we should be doing. So who are the elect? Who does God show compassion to? You can see um, the results of this. You can see, you know, has he chosen those who believe? Yes, because you believe. That's how you know. You know, I'm, I'm, that you can do it after the fact, not before. So then a person will, though, say, well, what about me? What about me? So what we have to look at is if the secret things belong to the Lord, what has been revealed to us? What has he revealed? There's certain, there's lots of stuff that he said, I will tell you this. And here's some important things. And we know that all that's necessary for our salvation and for a life pleasing God has been revealed somewhere or another clearly in the scriptures. So the first thing that has been revealed that we know God has told us is true is that when we are saved, it is by grace. So let's look at um, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. So Ephesians chapter 2, I'm sorry, verses 8 through 10. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. Listening for the, the revelation of God to us. What does he tell us? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. For good works. Which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. So we see that it's by grace. And then we go to Matthew chapter 16. This is the first book of the New Testament. Matthew 16 beginning in verse 13. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So he could see the result. It's like, okay, you, you get it. Because it's been revealed to you. So if you get this, this is a revelation from God that comes to you. Verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter. You are Peter. You are a rock. Rocky, that's kind of what his name would be for us now. And on this rock, meaning the thing that is representing his faith, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So, Christ will build his church upon the rock of faith 
in Jesus Christ. So this is revealed to us. If you are saved, it is by grace alone. And secondly, what's been revealed is that we have been commanded in Scripture by Jesus, by God, to come to him. It's a commandment. Come to me. So let's, let's look at this. So John chapter 6. Again, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John chapter 6. Verse 35. John 6, 35. <clears throat> Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now that's a promise. That's revealed. And if you want to read it, 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 the whoever is like, the one who comes to me shall not hunger. That's more of a literal translation. The one who comes to me shall not hunger, and the one who believes in me shall never thirst. That's a promise. So you have to ask yourself, rather than, am I elect? The question is, have you come to Christ? Do you believe in him? But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So this is revealed. If the Father is electing and the Father is having compassion, then you will come. You will go to Christ. And the good news is, also, Christ says, whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out. So the question is, have you fled to Christ? Have you come to Christ? Have you gone to Christ? And if you have, he says, I'll never cast you out. Now, we know some people continue for a short period of time in the faith or they abandon the faith. It's like you really haven't come to Christ. You've just gone to a concept of Christ. You've gone to some other, another religion, another um, philosophical idea that you think might work for you for a while, but not truly to Christ where you believe in him, where he surely is God the Son died truly, rose again for our justification and lives again forever at the right hand of God and, and feeling our need of him and his presence. And then verse 38, he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So, <laughs> they're talking about faith, going to Christ. And the promises are, whoever does this, if the Father has, has, has called you, you'll come. And whoever comes, I won't cast out. And whoever I have, I will keep them safe to the last day, and I will give them eternal life and I will raise them up. Now, this is the, the last verse we're going to go to, but this is, this is a big one. Well, they're all big. So here, here's Ephesians 4.16. I'm sorry, it is not Ephesians 4.16. It is Hebrews. Why I said Ephesians, I don't know. Hebrews 4.16. So Hebrews is back there up against, closer to Revelation. <clears throat> if you get to James, you went a little too far. Hebrews 4. 16, just this one verse. I started just to write it down and not make you turn to it, but you need to see it. You need to think about this. This is the thing. I will have mercy on whom I have, will have mercy. I have compassion on whom I have compassion. It's not up to him who wills or him who runs, but unto God who gives mercy. So Hebrews 4, 16 says, So let us then 
with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. And that word may doesn't mean you might. It means that you will receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the question is, do you desire the mercy of God? You might say, well, you know, I wish God would show me. How do I know if God's going to show me mercy or not? Well, the question is, do you want it? Do you desire mercy? Do you need mercy? Do you recognize I need grace? I need mercy. I need forgiveness. I need all these things that God has offered. I want, I desire, but I just don't know whether he's going to give it to me or not. He's like, no, that's not what he says. That's not what he's been saying. And particularly here it says, do you want to receive mercy? Then what you do is with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Draw near. It means come to me. The throne where the king sits. And it's a throne of, of grace. Undeserved. It's not like um, Esther going before the king and doesn't know whether the king's going to kill her or not. He's not going to kill you. Believer, if you have faith, if you're trusting in Christ, you go to him clothed in your righteousness. You're adopted as a child. You're able to, to bust into the throne room. You're able to go into the Holy of Holies. You're able to, to stand before God the Father and and say with all respect and all honor and all understanding who it is before you stand and be able to say, I need mercy. And he says, you will receive it and you will find grace to help in time of need. But you must feel your need to feel your need of him. There's a song, the only fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. But you got to be careful with that because we might also say you also have to repent as those who repent and believe have faith. So does it depend on your repentance as a work or does it depend on your faith, which was given freely by grace? It's not repent, depend on your repentance. That's good news because our repentance, I don't want to say the S word, our repentance is not good. Our repentance is like filthy rags. Our repentances are not sufficient to the task. Our faith the one we have faith in, he has all sufficiency. And that faith is given to us and it produces a fruit of repentance. It produces a fruit of recognizing not just my need, but he who can supply my, the, the answer to my need, who can supply all my wants and needs, the ultimate ones. So the question is, do you desire the mercy of God? Ask not if I'm elect, rather flee to him, the throne of grace, and you will find mercy. Your sins should drive you to Christ. Your sins should drive you to Christ rather than keep you from him. But you look at the world, and without faith, it's, their sin, they suppress the knowledge of God in their sin. Their sin hardens their heart. The commandments to love and obey, to, to come to Christ for salvation, hardens their hearts. Unless God operates and does work which he says he does to some by hearing the gospel. And so we, and, and he says that the harvest is plenty, the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. So this is what we're doing so that your sin should drive you to Christ rather than keep you from him. Otherwise, the commandments of God will be a burden to you and he, through the commandments of love, will harden your heart. And so you have to ask, and I'll close with this, it's like, all right, then why, the, why tell us about election then? I mean, why not just tell us about grace, mercy, come to me, do all that stuff. Why this stuff in the middle here about election? 
And one is, Paul's making a point, is don't look at those who are lost, especially when you're looking at Israel, because promises were made to them, and yet much of Israel is hardened. And he's like, has the word of God failed? No. The word of God stands, because the promise was always to those who would have faith, the faith of Abraham. And so those who have faith today are are fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant. And so this is important for a couple reasons. One, we're knowing that God keeps his promises. And two, for the assurance of our eternal security. He saved me. He saved you. Therefore, you're saved. You don't get unsaved. He did this work in you, and he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the last day. That's the revealed stuff. And the second is soli deo gloria. To God alone be the glory. You don't glory in yourself. You can't brag about yourself. You can't look upon other people and say, ah, thank God I'm not like that guy. No, you'd be worse than that guy probably. Maybe the reason you're elect is because we'd be so much worse, we'd ruin everything. He had to save us because we're the worst. That's not what happens, but you had to think like that. Paul says he's the chief of sinners. And so why were you chosen? And now that you are, does it make you better than other people? It means that God has set you apart for his special purpose so that we have compassion and pity on those who don't yet know him. And we plead before God and for man that they would come to him. And so third, there's also a part of that is to humble us. And fourth is the assurance that the power of the gospel is the power of God and not our own persuasive powers in trying to convince other people not with fog machines, not with the stirring music of, you know, whatever we might do to try to make, you know, a worship service more appealing to the world or the gospel more appealing to the world. People who are lost are lost, and they, 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 you might trick them into looking like a Christian and come into the externalities of the Christian faith because they like the music or they like the fellowship or they like the coffee or they like the, I don't know, the, the, and the thinking is, well, get them to come in for something and then we'll give them the gospel when they get in here. It's like, that's not what in here's for. <laughs> in here is for the worship of God. We're to worship God the way that he commands to be worshipped. And God says, in that, I will save people. Through that, I will save people. This is called a, a means of grace. You go to the throne. We come in here, we approach boldly the throne of grace. We come to the, the table, a throne of grace that's given to us. We see people being baptized. It's a that's a sign and seal of the covenant of God that he saves and cleanses us from all sins and that for those he has saved, he gives himself to us for the day-to-day needs that we have to continue in faith and in practice that he builds his church. The gates of hell do not prevail against it. Whoever believes on Christ shall never perish but have eternal life. Whoever comes to Christ, Christ says they will never hunger, they will never thirst, and the Spirit And the bride say, come, and he will give you rest for your souls. Let's pray. Father God, you have have called us to your service, to your grace, to your mercy. And we respond in faith. you've, You've called us to go into the world proclaiming this gospel. So you would call others to yourself. So we are to go out into the world um, as we're in the world making disciples, baptizing them to the church in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that we are indeed um, teaching them to observe all that you've commanded and you've promised to be with us even to the end of the age. So as we think about this doctrine of election, help us to, to be humble before you, grateful that you extend your mercy and your grace to some, um, 
eternally grateful and worshipful that you have extended it to us, but not just to us. And Lord, we know that this is a secret thing that belongs to you, but faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. So we pray that the word would go forth from here, from us, and that you would call many people to yourself, even through the work of our hands. And we pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.